please pray with me? Speak, Lord. Speak, because your servants are listening. We pray in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, saying together, Amen, Amen. Please be seated, friends. Have you ever watched a really small child eat spaghetti? I'm talking about the kind of children that's still sitting in high chairs. You ever really paid attention to that? I mean, it's quite, it's quite the thing. It's, it's like watching a small tropical storm. Uh, you have pasta and you have pasta sauce and sometimes meatballs just sort of flying. You know, they cover their hair with it. They cover their face with it. They cover their tray with it. They cover their friends with it, their family and their foes. Everybody's covered in spaghetti. And we kind of just are humorized by that. I mean, it just kind of makes us happy that we're alive and we're watching a small child eat spaghetti. If you ever really get down, just see if you can borrow a small child and feed that small child spaghetti. Now, as you grow up, the rules change. Next week, we're having a great spaghetti dinner for our youth group. If we gather in the fellowship hall and Catherine Horner covers her head in spaghetti, or God forbid, Tommy Lou covers her face in spaghetti, or Alfred McKenzie, very stately Texas attorney, flings spaghetti on his neighbors, it's not quite so funny. In fact, we get a little concerned. We get a little worried. We start to whisper. We share prayer requests. We gossip. We share prayer requests as gossip. <laughs> it happens. We talk about what's going on here. Because the assumption is you come to a certain point in your life where the spaghetti gets a little more manageable. You come to a certain point in your life where you do things differently. And we have all seen adult and age human beings that are still eating spaghetti like little kids. And they're precious people and they're created in the image of God, but we know deep down in our heart something's not the way that it's supposed to be. And it's a tragedy to us and not something we laugh at because you don't laugh at that. In so many areas of life, we just assume growth, and we chart growth, and we celebrate growth. But when it comes to our journey with God, quite often we make peace with being stuck in certain places, in certain phases. We, we make peace with it. We make peace with not growing in the fruit of the Spirit. We make peace with the fact that we've been Christians for 40, 50, 60 years, and we're still just ornery old cusses without the love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control that is brought to us because of the personality of Christ growing in and out of us. We make peace with the spaghetti in our hair. And God would have us approach it in a different way. He would have us accept the, the call, the invitation, the challenge to move forward to grow. 
That's what the, the Lenten season is about as Christians celebrate it all over the world. It's a protracted period of time where we look in our hearts and we, we look at our, our lives and we see where we are in relation to where we can be in God's grace. It's an invitation to move forward. These Sundays preceding Easter, that's, that's what we're examining together. That's the theme that we're lingering over. And today we're, we're invited to move forward through the grace of imitation. Our focal text today is in Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 17. That's printed for you in your order of worship. To give it its fuller context, I'll begin my reading in verse 12 of Philippians chapter 3. Not that I have already obtained or have already reached the goal, but I press on. I press, I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Beloved, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but this one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the heavenly call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us then who are mature be of the same mind. And if you think differently about anything, this too God will reveal to you. Only let us hold fast to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join in imitating me and observe those who live according to the example that you have in us. For many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. I often told you of them, and I tell you now, even with tears, their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and their glory is their shame. Their minds are set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And it is from there that we are expecting a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, he will transform the body of our humiliation that it may be conformed to the body of His glory by the power that also enables Him to make all things subject to Himself. Therefore, my brothers and sisters, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm in the Lord in this way, my beloved. These beautiful words written by Paul to a church that he adored, a church that he was calling and encouraging, a church that had experienced conflict because of two of the powerful leaders being at odds with one another. He was calling them to, to solidify their commitment to him and to one another uh, and to rejoice in God. Here he calls them to move forward in their life with him. And he gives them really powerful and practical principles about how that can be done. He tells them that we can move forward through imitation. In Scripture, we're called a number of times to imitate God. For instance, Ephesians 5.1, also from the hand of Paul. Here it says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children. The context there in Ephesians is about the act of forgiveness and, and being big-hearted and gracious. Uh, but you can put it forward in so many other ways. Be imitators of God as beloved children. 
In fact, a commitment to imitate God is one of the, one of the most powerful ways, one of the most powerful things God gives us to break the bonds that just bind us so, so tightly. Some of us, we get stuck like our wheels on a muddy road, and we just spin and spin and spin and spin. And one of the things that God gives us to break us out of that, that rut is this grace of imitating God. One of my favorite books, and I probably read it every, every other year, is Calvin Miller's Into the Depths of God. I commend it without reservation. It is a fantastic book about life with God. And there's a chapter in this book about Teresa of Lisieux. She's a small spiritual writer in the Catholic tradition, uh, and he just learned so much from her, and he passed that along. And she wrote a great deal about this act of, of imitating God. And let me, let me read to you from this section. It says, Teresa of Lisieux said that the key to answering all of our appetites, material or otherwise, was to imitate Christ. She had a linnet. That's a little bird. We've been singing about birds this morning. Today's worship is brought to you by birds. She had, a, she had a linnet that was kept in a cage, having had the bird since it was a fledgling. She also had a canary that was given to constant singing. The quieter linnet in time began to try to imitate the canary. It was not easy, but he kept at it. It was charming to watch the efforts of the little thing, she wrote. It obviously found it hard to make its own voice harmonize with the vibrant notes of its master. But to my great surprise, its song did in time become exactly like that of the canaries. Miller writes, to fail to imitate Christ is to grieve the Holy Spirit. How exactly do we do it? The key to understanding this is to remember that grieve is a love word. When we do not live up to the thing that God saves us to do, it's not that God gets mad at us and becomes bent on some path of getting even. Instead, God hurts for us. God sang creation into being. And he's redeemed us. He has saved us, those of us that are his, to join his song, to mimic his song, to sing with him, to imitate him as precious and beloved children. And when we fail to follow this path, we wound the heart of our beloved. We can move forward by committing to imitate God, our beloved Father. You, you say, Matt, that's great, that's great, but can you break that off for me in a smaller piece? Maybe give me something else to start with? Scripture certainly does, and, and Paul certainly did. He talked a number of times about imitating God, but he also talked about imitating himself. He said, for instance, in 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. 
In this passage of Scripture that we read this morning, he called on the church in Philippi to imitate him. Now, years ago, I thought this was the height of arrogance until I considered the fact that what are the other options? What else do we have? And if you start for a moment and think, this is how most all of life works. We learn by watching We learn by paying attention, and we live into the lives of our fathers and mothers, the ones that go before us, and we absorb so much bad and so much good without even thinking about it. And Scripture calls us to think about it and to be discerning and wise in particular about who we model our journeys after. And here is Paul calling them, to imitate him and those that have followed his way as he imitates Christ. Verses 12 to 16 give us the context for that because in these verses, he gives something of a testimony. He talks about his his walk with God. He talks about his experience with God. And he talks about his experience before God, how he was a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, how he had achieved and, and how he had gone further and how he counted it as rubbish. And here he calls us to follow in his footsteps. Here's some things he said. He says, I don't believe I've already obtained the goal. I've not yet made it there. He said, I'm not a person who is resting on my laurels. I'm not a person that is at ease in Zion. I'm not a person that has grown, uh, grown satisfied with where I am in relation to where God would have me be. One of the quickest ways for us to rot spiritually, relationally, is just to think we have everything to give and nothing to receive. That we have made it and we're the dispensers of all things wise and good. And Paul, Paul began to sing that little, that little kindergarten song that we hear so often. He's still working on me. He, he, he began to sing that in his heart. He, he began to say, no, I, I'm not there yet. I'm not where God would have me to be yet. I, I don't consider that I'm wearing the crown on my head. I, I don't consider that I've made it. He said, follow in my example in this way. He says, I press on. And just when they began to think it was all about them and their sweat and their performance and their commitment and their passion, then he calls them back to the centrality of the gospel. He said, follow me in this too. Can you say with me, Christ has made me his own? Remember, this is the man who taught us about grace and and faith, that we have a relationship with God, not not based on our performance, but based on the mercy and the kindness of God. Uh, And and Christ did for us what we could not do for ourselves. He, He called us to trust the work of Jesus. He said, Christ made me his own. Therefore, having been apprehended by God, I stretch forward to apprehend that prize that he's laid out there in my good future. I forget what's in the past. We often say that. We have to let our baggage go. And we almost always are talking about negative experiences and our own failures. And certainly Paul would say yes to that. But Paul had in mind his successes and his place of of privilege and position. 
He said, I had it licked. I ran past my peers. I achieved. In political parlance, he was winning, and he was winning all the time. And he said, and I count all of that as loss compared to the glory that is the way of Christ and the way of the cross. He says, I keep pressing on in these ways, in these number of ways. Paul becomes our model. He becomes our mentor. And we can move forward when we imitate God and when we imitate people whose lives have been shaped by the gospel and the the passionate living out of the implications of that grace in the world. Moving on. Paul continues to talk, not just about imitating, but he lays out before them a warning. And we can grow, we can move forward by heeding warnings. In verses 18 to 19, he begins to talk about people uh, who had shipwrecked their lives because of their swagger and their arrogance. I had this old friend, he was a catfish farmer named George Cody. Uh, He was in the first church that I served. He was a great old guy. I kind of started thinking of him like Yoda. He just dispensed all kind of wild wisdom. And he looked a little bit like Yoda from time to time, particularly as he began to hunch a bit. And, And every time I would leave George's presence, he would always say the same thing to me. He would say, Matt, be very, very, very particular. He was talking mainly about how I drove down the road. But he meant all of life. Be very particular. Be very particular. And this is what Paul is doing here. He's saying, be very particular. And heed the warnings that are all around you. We get so much further in life when we heed those bright warnings as they they come up in our experience. How many of you have pushed past the warning light on your dashboard to your own chagrin? Many, many people do. Not long ago, it was a cold night. We haven't had many cold nights, but we had one cold night. And Mary said, hey, why don't we try to build a fire? We had a little wood, and so I went in there, and we, we built a fire in the fireplace, and it was super cold, and, and the fireplace is more like to, to look at, not really to warm the whole house, so we had the heater going too, and, and, and so we all went to sleep after a while, about 12, 30, 1 o'clock in the morning, we hear this, ah, 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 most annoying sound imaginable. It woke Meredith up first, and she in turn woke me up. What is that? What is that? It was the carbon monoxide detector. My first impulse, wiping sleep out of my eyes, was, I think we'll be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Meredith, being far wiser than me, said, get up. And so we got up and we took the kids out in the backyard. We opened up all the doors and the windows and we let... All of that stuff out discovered that the flu wasn't exactly open like it should have been. Had we pushed past the warning, it would have been tragic. Those warnings that come, oh goodness, they're aggravating. 
But it's that hard-edged grace that gives us life and opportunities to move forward. And Paul laid out a, a glaring, barking, screaming warning. He talked about he talked about people, and he didn't talk about them with anger. He said, I speak of them now with tears. With tears in his eyes, he wrote of these, these people. He called them enemies of the cross. Instead of following the cruciform way of Jesus, they followed the thundering, powerful way of Rome. He said their, their glory, their winning is their losing, and their glory is their shame. He said their God is their bellies. Now, I know I don't look like an Olympic swimmer. Was he picking on big people? I love this line from David Garland. It says, Rather than setting their sights on the prize and on the upward call of God, they have fixed their eyes on their own navel. Their God is themselves. Regardless of your physique, you can make your navel your God. And when that happens, when that happens, your winning becomes your losing and your glory your shame. The chief competitor for the God that we see on Calvary's cross glares at us in the mirror every single morning. And it's been that way throughout history. Oh yes, we made graven images and golden calves. But when you boil all of that gold down, that calf is just a projection of the collective navel. The self. And God would break that grip in our life and move us forward but in order to move forward we have to hear the warning and quit ignoring it and respond we can move forward by heeding the warnings and quickly and lastly today we can move forward in hope verses 20 and 21 talk about our citizenship and our citizenship, yes, we vote in McLennan County. Yes, we're Americans. People in Philippi are part of the great empire, but their citizenship, their citizenship was in heaven. And he said, from heaven, we expect our Savior to come and to transform us. He wanted them to fix their eyes on Christ and the ultimacy of his reign and his kingdom a future that would break into the present, a future that presently was changing their experience and moving them toward what God had established for them. He wanted them to be heavenly-minded so that they could be earthly good. Throughout the last couple thousand years of the church, there have been people who have missed this, and they've used the hope of eternity and, and the life to come in God as an excuse to divorce themselves from living in the real world. We lost Harper Lee this week. She took her pen in, in her hand and she wrote about those kind of people. Uh, Atticus, who was really a, a, a personification of her own daddy, said in To Kill a Mockingbird, 
There are just some kind of men who are so busy worrying about the next world, they've never learned to live in this one. And you can look down the street and see the results. She was right, and so is Paul. And they weren't talking about the same thing. Paul was talking about a hope that was rooted not in what we could achieve, not in what we could wrangle, not in the deals we could cut, but a hope rooted in our citizenship in heaven and the Lord that is coming to transform us, to make us look like himself. The book of Hebrews calls hope the anchor of our souls. And when we have an eye that's cocked toward our good future, then we are free to live courageously and with love in the present. We become earthly good. This whole context, Paul was a big sports guy, and this whole context was about chariot racing. It was about racing. It was about running. It was about riding. It was about competing. And he said, I want to live in such a way that I'm living for the upward call of Christ. That upward call was at the end of that race where the one who was in charge would say, come up on this platform. Come up here. Come up high. And the winner would come to the top having finished the race faithfully and would receive the laurel crown, the crown of victory, the crown, the blessed celebration. And Paul wanted to live freely and, and with love in the world and faithfully and passionately, ever moving forward, ever pressing on because he was hungry for the call. He wanted to hear, come up here. He wanted to hear, well done, uh, good and, and faithful. He wanted his salvation to not be just something where he, he snuck in and where he was saved, but as, as through fire. He wanted to accompany his salvation, the pleasure and the, and the delight and the joy that was in God because his life was spent in gratitude for the mercy that he had received in Christ. He was living for that upward call. In the, last, in the last season of his life, as he was preparing himself for his imminent death, he wrote to a son in the faith, Timothy. And this is what he said in 2 Timothy 4, beginning in verse 6. As for me... I'm already being poured out like a libation. My lifeblood is being poured out like wine. And the time of my departure has come. I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Uh, from now on, there is reserved for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all those who long for his appearing. Why did Peter live and die the way he did? Why, did? why did Paul? Why did Mary, the mother of Jesus, why did the rest? Because they longed for his appearing. They longed to be transformed in God's good future, they longed to stand for that day. They lived. They lived with the idea that the, that the eyes that matter were the eyes of the great judge who was the great Savior. 
They long to stand before him and hear, well done. And that longing brought them forward. And that particular way of heeding the warnings brought them forward and imitating God and their fathers and mothers in the faith brought them forward. Next week, as you're watching people eat spaghetti, be proud of yourself that it's not in your hair. And then ask yourself, where am I spiritually, emotionally, relationally? Where should God take me? Where would he take me? If I imitated him as his beloved child. God, we thank you for a chance to gather in this room. We thank you for opportunity week after week to sing and to pray and to give and to hear from your word. God, as we come to a time of of commitment, I pray that we would all come to this place where we deal with your working in our life and we recommit ourselves to moving forward. For some here today, Lord, it would be to confess you. Others, it might be to join this church. All of us have a gulf between where we are and where we can be. God, through the power of your your spirit, move us forward, we pray in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. Friends, let's stand and let's sing.